6, Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. It is Friday. Happy St. Patrick's Day. If you are out and about, have fun, but be careful. Be careful out there, designated drivers and things of the like. Who says Mayor Tom Barrett does not have a sense of humor? Now, Mayor Tom Barrett, of course, this is the guy who, while the city of Milwaukee is crumbling with regard to crime, while on an almost daily basis you can pick up stories about 14- and 15-year-olds taking guns and sticking them in people's faces for and carjackings and murders and shootings and assaults. Um, we had the story yesterday about how people on the northwest side of the city are afraid to leave their homes to go on vacation because they will be broken into. How people are afraid to go to work during the day because there's so many robberies that are going on and burglaries. All right, so this is Tom Barrett's Milwaukee. Tom Barrett, whose answer to... Oh, what we need for urban improvement is a streetcar that runs, oh, a 2.1-mile loop from the Lower East Side down to the bus depot. This is Tom Barrett's Milwaukee. Here's the story. Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett mocked Sheriff David Clark as an absentee sheriff focused on his conservative TV career instead of public safety. I think he's got a great gig going right now. He's fighting crime one conservative cable TV show at a time. <laughs> Barrett said during an interview with Wisconsin Eye. He's made a great name for himself, I think, as the darling of the conservative cable network. I think he can make a ton of money doing that. Um, when asked if Clark was doing TV appearances at the expense of doing his job as sheriff, Barrett said, I think if you were to ask people who know what's going on here, they would say that he rode that horse out a long time ago. <laughs> okay. It, I will just say this. It takes a lot of, hmm, it's 8.37 in the morning, so I will use the word chutzpah for Tom Barrett to mock anyone when it comes to crime. I understand David Clark is a controversial figure with regard to, you know, his national presence. I, I understand all that. But my God in heaven, when you have Tom Barrett, who has for years his answer to crime in Milwaukee is to blame the state and say, well, we just need more tougher gun laws, laws which would not make any difference at all with regard to getting violent repeat criminals off the streets. This is the same Tom Barrett who does not have the guts to criticize his buddies in the courthouse when they come out with ridiculous sentences. This is the same Tom Barrett that has the audacity to mock David Clark with regard to Clark's position on fighting crime. Uh, actually, and of course, you know, David Clark, give him credit, he apparently responds, we have Tom Puxitani Phil Barrett. We have a Tom Puxitani Phil, that is a reference to Groundhog Day, Barrett sighting. Tell the milk carton, have you seen me, Mayor, that he must be a closet Fox News Channel fan or he wouldn't know anything about conservative TV appearances. Right now, I'm busy being briefed on a burglary ring occurring on the north side of Milwaukee. Another one. Can our milk toast mayor tell us anything about that? All right. And then it goes on and on. I just there is this sense of irony that of all people on all of all issues, Tom Barrett would choose to mock David Clark on crime. Perhaps, Mr. Mayor, perhaps, Mr. Mayor, you can get your head out of the trolley and try to say, what can I do to try to make the quality of life better for the people on the northwest side who now can't leave their homes to go to work because they're afraid they're going to be broken into? Seriously, Barrett mocking Clark. Can you imagine? 
<clears throat> All right. We start off this program like we start off every program. Three big things, things I think you need to know to discuss during your work day or at the gym or at lunch. Big thing number one, the reverberation from the Trump budget proposal continues. And Hondo, who is producing the show today, as always, we start off with big thing number one, going where angels fear to tread. The so-called war on Big Bird. As part of the Trump budget, he proposes once and for all to eliminate $445 million in annual funding for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This is NPR and public service programming. It's the, t- it's the TV and it's, it's the radio. Now, let's be clear at the beginning. This would not affect the vast majority of public TV stations that really don't rely, or radio stations, that don't rely on money anymore from um, public, public money. So, I mean, I think, matter of fact, I, I think in Milwaukee, I think it's self-sufficient. I think the TV station is self-sufficient, but they, they don't. But $445 million, Trump would eliminate it. Now, here, here is the history behind this. Um, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting was established in 1967 during the Johnson years. And, and the idea was back back in 1967, this was before Al Gore invented the Internet. It was largely, I don't know if they had cable TV back in 1967. I, I want to say no, but I'm not positive about that. <clears throat> and certainly not the way we know it today. I, absolutely. I mean, a- absolutely. So, you know, you would have... You would have a handful of TV networks, the major three networks, maybe a couple of like UHF or VHF channels, whatever that that were there. And in rural areas, there was little or no reach. You had radio stations, but certainly, again, not the way we have them today. And the idea behind the Corporation for Public Broadcasting was to um, be responsive to the interests of people throughout the United States, um, we, we want to encourage alternative sort of programming and telecommunications. And keep in mind, this was the era where you know TV was viewed as like this vast wasteland. And the idea was the Corporation for Public Broadcasting would encourage the development of programming that involves creative risks and addresses the needs of unserved and underserved audiences. Okay, that was 1967. Flash forward. 50 years. What does the media landscape look like now? Well, first of all, you've got the internet where people can down you. Once you get your internet access, you can download pretty much anything that you want to watch or that you want to listen to. You have satellite TV, you have cable television, you have Netflix, you have all these other different types of things, Amazon streaming, all these different types of things. You also have more TV networks developing programming than you can shake a stick at. I mean, one of the things that's kind of frustrating to me as a huge TV fan is there is there are so many shows out there that are being produced by, and I'm, I'm not just talking about basic cable or pay cable, but I'm talking about like the Amazons of the world or the Netflix of the world. There is so much interesting creative programming out there that I'll read about a TV show. I've never seen it because I just don't have time to watch it. This is not 1967, and the choices are vast. Similarly, with radio, 
My goodness. I mean, in this market, in our market, you've got what, just on, on over-the-air radio, you've got the choices of over, I think, 30 different radio stations that you can listen to. In addition, you know, through satellite radio, you have the ability, I, I don't know, I've, I've got serious, I'm trying to think, is, is there 150 channels? I don't know. But there is this incredible diversity that is out there. So, big thing number one, let us tee this up. I'm willing to go on St. Patrick's Day where angels fear to tread. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would it be the end of the world if we defunded the Corporation for Public Broadcasting? And by defunded, that does not put them out of business. It simply says, okay, to the extent that you were getting federal dollars, you have to figure out a way to replace that. And if, if in fact, that meant that, I don't know, some... Local public TV stations ended up having to go off the air. Would would that really be the end of the world? Aren't there enough choices out there that the taxpayers do not need to be subsidizing entertainment either on the radio or on TV? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Candidly, there might have been a need for this in 1967. I think defunding... Defunding the Corporation for Public Broadcasting is long, 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 long overdue. And that is not a knock on public broadcasting. It is just a reflection that what they do is duplicated in the private sector. And to the extent that they need more money, well, have another pledge drive. We discuss coming up. 414-799-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 845. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 849, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Trump budget eliminates once and for all the remaining $445 million that goes to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This would not eliminate the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. It would simply say, okay, to the extent that you still rely, at least in any part, on public money, now you got to sell ads or raise money some other way. Denise in Lake Geneva. Denise, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, um, I really like PBS, and um, as a school counselor and a mom, they offer really good programs um, that teach kids some of the things that they are not necessarily mm-hmm. getting other places. It gives them a healthy alternative to, like, SpongeBob, Nick Jr., violent shows. Um, so I really like the PBS program. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I would hate to see those go away as an option. Well, for well why do you, would you assume that they would go away? If, if enough people like, as a matter of fact, HBO, you know, it's interesting because Sesame Street is on HBO nowadays, so that Big Bird's already gone that route. But why would you assume that they would go away? If there's enough demand for them, if lots of people like you, Denise, say, I, I'm not getting this on all the other channels that are out there that provide kids programming. Um, wouldn't you think that there would be advertisers who would willing be willing to pick up the $445 million for that? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I think that um, maybe advertisers would. I don't yeah. know if people would pay for it. I think um, kids and I think parents gravitate towards, some gravitate towards more the faster paced um, mm-hmm. cartoons simply because they resemble more of the video games. Mm-hmm. And um, so I like them out there freely for people to become exposed to them and, and to... Well, well, again, Denise, don't misunderstand me. I, I mean, I, I'm, this isn't... I, I'm not... And I, again, 
I don't watch enough children's programming to have a strong position on whether or not if if suddenly the programming that they offer on PBS disappeared, does that mean that there'd be no suitable alternatives for, for children provided on other networks? Now, I will tell you, as a free market guy, my sense is no. Because My sense is no because there, there, if there is a demand for something, you will have producers that will, will provide that. I mean, that's and, – and so if there's parents out there that say, hey, we, we want access, we want whatever the New Age equivalent of Mr. Rogers is, that, that, that's great. That, that's – the demand will take care of that. I'm just trying to make the point that I don't think the taxpayers should have to subsidize this. And if there is really high demand for a, a Mr. Rogers type of show or an electric company or, or whatever that is, that, that, that's great. That, that's fine. There won't be any trouble because people will be banging down the doors to pay some producer to put out that type of programming. I just don't believe that you need the public, the taxpayers, to help underwrite it. And like I say, there's um, a, a lot of the big stations, a lot of the big public broadcasting stations. They don't rely on they don't rely on public money anymore. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Let's talk to Dennis in Brookfield. Dennis, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. What do you think? I think it should be stopped. I uh, I donate to uh, public TV. It's a mere ten dollars a month. Uh, I have it set up automatically, and uh, you know, ten dollars. You know, yeah. somebody says, "What? What's ten dollars?" Well, it's, I get ten. You get ten. Somebody <laughs> gets twenty. Uh, I think it. Uh, the programs on there, I like a lot of them. Yeah. And. I think it could with just a good. Uh... Well, right. Well, right. If if there again, if there is a demand for the stuff, Dennis. I mean, look, the idea fifty years ago, the reason we had the corporate corporation for public broadcasting was there were only a couple networks that were out there, and so the idea is, okay, we we want to have alternative types of programming that you know would appeal to things beyond the networks. Well, now. You've got hundreds of different channels. You've got all these different networks, cable networks, other things. You've got producers putting out shows, trying desperately to sell to all these venues. If there is demand for the stuff that's on either NPR or, you know, on, on public TV, there will be a market for it. Advertisers will find it. Donors will find it. It's just, to me, this is an anachronism going back 50 years to continue to support these programs now that the... 67 is not 2017. That's true. And like I said, it doesn't take much to help them out. I mean, yeah. people say, oh, I can't. You, you look at your budget in a month, right. and you can't somehow squeeze out $10. Well, right. If it, thanks for, know, right, if, right. If, if it is, yeah, if it is, if it is important to you. So, okay, like, look at some of the stuff that, that, that they do. Okay, you've got the Ken Burns documentaries, for example. Now, besides the fact that he's an uber-lefty filmmaker, I, he, I mean, he does good stuff. There, there's no question about it. But do you mean to tell me that you know Ken Burns, these documentaries wouldn't get made if it, it wasn't for, like, public broadcasting? You know, heck, heck no. I mean, I, I've, been, I've been watching, when you watch ESPN lately, they've got all these 30 for 30 sports documentaries out there. No, I mean, you look at all the different filmmakers that are out there, it's easier now than ever to produce things because of technology. All I am saying is, I, I believe candidly that the, the public broadcasting networks and the things like NPR would continue to thrive and survive. Um, but is it unreasonable to expect them to play by the same rules that everybody else does, which is these market-based type of things? I candidly, I, I think not. And matter of fact, I think if you cut the four hundred forty-five million dollars in public broadcasting, truth is. 
probably nobody would miss it. To the extent any shows went away, they would be these obscure shows that nobody is watching. The private sector would move in and fill that niche if there is, in fact, a demand for it. 855, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number two, what were they thinking in lacrosse? Stick around. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Bucks try to go two for two at the Staples Center out in Los Angeles, this time against the Lakers. Ted Davis begins our Buck Shots pregame coverage at 9-10 tonight here on WTMJ. Okay, Jane Matinair, this... This, this is one of my favorite stories of the day um, out of Cleveland. And you have probably been in bars like this. What happens is there's a bunch of guys sitting in this bar. It's called the Brick House Bar. Last Saturday night, about 7 o'clock in okay. Cleveland. Some guy comes in waving a gun um, back and forth, um, demanding money from the bartender. So you've got a bunch of the regulars. Now, I've seen the outside of the Brick House Bar. I don't know what the inside looks like, but it would be one of those kind of places that if you and I were walking by, I'm not sure we would say, let's go in here oh, in the first place. Yeah, right, this looks like fun. <laughs> so so you got this guy. He's in there. He's waving his gun around, and a lot of the regulars at the bar take offense that their bar is being robbed. <laughs> they turn on the robber. <laughs> Beat the crap out of him. Oh my! <laughs> but one of them takes like a goes a flying tackle, knocks the guy down. Gun goes flying. The other one kicks gun. Three other guys then like sit on him, and then they call the cops. So here you have okay, you know this gangbanger or gangster decides he's going to rob. Of all the different bars to pick, you pick the Brickhouse Bar, and you offend the regulars. You know you're interrupting the the, the college uh, basketball game. Be much easier at a fern, you know, some kind of fern, <laughs> right, yeah. fern and brass bars. <laughs> right, right. But bottom line is, do not rob places called the Brick House Bar. Nine oh nine. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. What in the world is going on at UW Lacrosse? These are our tax dollars at work. The Chancellor of UW Lacrosse is a guy named John Joe Gal. He has been. Well, in the news a lot. You might remember um, on January 30th, after President Trump came out with his first travel ban, uh, Gal, on public resources, sends out an email addressed to the campus community. Dear students, and, and I'll just share a portion of it with you. Dear students and colleagues, like so many of you, the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse leadership team and I are shocked and saddened by President Donald Trump's order prohibiting refugees and people from certain predominantly Muslim countries from entering the U.S. Here at University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, we do not discriminate based on a person's religion or country of origin, and it is very troubling to see the leader of our country doing exactly that. Okay, so let me just stop right there. This is his interpretation of that. He is using public resources to make what I think is clearly a political statement. All right, it goes on. At such an unsettling time, we are writing to reaffirm our university's commitment to support our international students, faculty, and staff, and our commitment to the values of international collaboration and engagement. Our students, faculty, and staff from around the world are an integral part of our campus community, play a crucial role in our educational system. Likewise, we affirm our commitment to ensuring a safe and inclusive campus, etc., 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 and it goes on and on and on. Well, after he sends this out, there is a huge backlash from a number of people saying that, um, you know, this is, you know, th- this is 
you are essentially using university resources to advance your own political agenda, and you don't like the president's order, that's fine, but you should not be putting the imprimatur of the University of Wisconsin lacrosse and using taxpayer resources to do that. And he ends up um, backing off of that a little bit. But that's the statement, he rips Trump. Now, this story isn't about the taxpayer-paid-for chancellor at UW lacrosse ripping Trump. It's not even about them ripping him ripping Trump using government resources and his position at UW Cross to do that. Here's what happens next. There is a woman who is a uh, she works she's a dispatcher at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. Her name is Kimberly Gearman. And apparently after this email comes out, what what she says is she goes to a coworker and she tells a coworker that hey I support Trump's travel ban. Um, I think it would prevent terrorists from coming into the country. And she said, I also think a lot of those immigrants should go back to where they came from. That's what that's what she says. Now, you know, maybe you agree with her. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Don't know. But she expresses that in response to the political statement that the guy that runs UW across, who gets taxpayer money, uh, put out. So she tells that to a co-worker. The co-worker then files a complaint about her. Saying, I, she, she criticized, she said that she actually supported the travel ban because she thinks it would stop terrorists from coming into the country. And she said, I, I think a lot of these immigrants who are coming into the country should go back to where they came from. So, all right, she filed, the coworker files a complaint. It's not like this woman sent this out, you know, to all campus. It's not like she even responded to like an email sending it to everybody saying, I don't know what the chancellor's talking about. She just tells a coworker. So the coworker complains. The woman, is given an option to resign or be terminated. The university says, we investigated this complaint, and we've determined that you, Ms. Dearman, have violated employee policies against unbecoming conduct and threatening or abusive language. Now, get this. According to the university's definition, unbecoming conduct is conduct on or off the job that adversely affects an employee's ability to continue to perform assigned duties or the university's ability to carry out its assigned mission or that tends to promote mistrust or embarrassment for the university. Threatening or abusive language directed towards somebody else is not allowed, and that includes offensive language whether or not it's directed towards anyone in particular and regardless of the intent. Presumably the the threatening language is, I think some of these immigrants should go back to where they come from. (laughs) Okay, that's it. So they sack her. For this, they sack her for doing this, and she now goes public with this story. And I mean, the good news of this is that uh, late Wednesday night, the bozo that is the chancellor at University of Lacrosse, Joe Gao, says that uh, the legal system, the council, the legal council said, uh, "You're really wrong here, and if they sue us, we're going to lose big time." And so you have to offer her her job back. So whether she takes it or not, but but they fired her for commenting to a coworker about the email, the politically motivated motivated email that the Lacrosse Chancellor sent out. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your reaction to this story: Should the employee have been fired? Should she have been disciplined? Do you think she did anything wrong? 
And what does it say? I understand the lawyers for the UW system are now telling the chancellor, you, you don't have the authority to fire her. You've denied her due process. You know, you've got to offer her a job back. But what do you think about the idea that they did this in the first place? Was she, in fact, out of line? Uh, did she deserve to be disciplined or fired? Or have we now gotten to the point where anything that passes for political dissent um, gets you fired at the University of Wisconsin system? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you feel about the way UW Lacrosse and the Chancellor handled this situation? Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, on our talk and text line. Bree writes, sounds like free speech is allowed as long as you don't disagree with what the university is saying. Yeah, that, see, I, here, here, here's the thing. I mean, how can you even go about trying to fire this woman for reacting to what I think is an overtly political statement that the chancellor at UW Across put out? He has every right, I guess. I would say as an individual, if he wants to criticize Donald Trump's policies, and this isn't, in my opinion, this is not about the merits of the travel ban and whether the guy was right or wrong. Number one, using his position as the chancellor at UW Cross to send out the email he sent out in the first place, I think was a gross abuse of his authority. And he apparently thinks so, too, because he ended up backing away from that after he recognized, I think, what he had done. But, yeah, then what happens is you have one of the employees who comments, takes a contrary position, and says, hey, I, I support this. I, I think it's going to make the country safer. And, yes, I think some of these people who are coming in from some of these countries, I think we should send them back. You might disagree with that. All right, you might say that's xenophobic. I respect that. But isn't this America? And don't you have a right to express that opinion? Katie and Walworth, it was wrong. It seems like no one can have an opinion these days without someone be offending by it. Shame on the co-worker and UW lacrosse. Clear violation of First Amendment rights simply because she had an opinion that differs from the mantra of uh, is a, of a true bastion of intolerance, which is the universities. And again, I, I, I maybe she's right, maybe she's wrong. All right, and maybe you hear that. Oh, I, I, you know, she says that you know some of these immigrants should go back to where they came from. Again, maybe you think that's xenophobic. Maybe you think that's short-sighted. Maybe you think she's wrong. She should lose her job for expressing that opinion. And they said, well, that, we weren't firing her for political beliefs. We were firing her for using like a, a abusive sort of language. Really? Um, pretty fine, fine line. Let's talk to Jim in Greenfield. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Uh, I don't really think she should be fired, but if you're going to fire her for that, you should also fire the chancellor. Well... Yeah, that's you know, yeah. If you're not going to fire the chancellor, you know, kind of like in a few good men, where you know the guys did what what was wrong, following an order, kind of thing. You know, she shouldn't have done that either. She kind of followed his misguidance, right? And took it upon herself to do sort of the same thing. Should she be fired for that? I don't think so. He shouldn't have made the statement. But if you're going to fire her, fire him too, and they should both be gone. And you know, lesson learned. Well, exactly. I mean, that, that's it. And so, I mean, and it is interesting because when when she first threatened to sue, her, when her lawyer went public with this, uh, Gal, the chancellor, he's out there saying, I want to be very clear, we would never let someone go based on their political beliefs. We follow, we always follow due process and policy if anyone is let go. 
Well, apparently not, because the UW lawyers, once they looked at what was going on here, said you didn't follow policy, you didn't file follow due process stuff, and uh, Chancellor, you let her go illegally, or at least we believe illegally, and you better offer her her job back. Now, again, you maybe she's dead wrong in what she said. I respect that. You know, I, I respect if you disagree with what she said, but I mean, all right, you, you get a politically tinged email through UW resources from the chancellor, and you have the audacity to say, I disagree with that, and then you have the, I mean, and she did say, well, I think some of these immigrants should go back to where they came from. All right, well, okay, that's that's now so politically incorrect that it costs you um, the job. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Bob in Brookfield. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, thanks a lot. This is wrong in so many ways. Um you know, one of the things we celebrate in this country is the ability to have an opinion that might be different than yours. Right. And and the fact that uh, what, what's actually really scary, scary to me is we're starting to see this pattern that if you speak up against what is, you know, considered to be taboo, that now all of a sudden uh, what's happening, all this, all this uh, is coming down upon you. And this, this is a scary path because this is something that I haven't seen in our country. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that there's many countries in this world where saying something like that, yeah, you know that's going to get you in trouble. You have to literally go you know, go to North Korea and, and go against the establishment and see what happens there. Yeah, and then they, just, right, then they just don't fire you. They, they put you up against the wall. Yeah, I mean, again, this is, this is it. Now, I, I understand that the... Because this, the, the chancellor is getting so much heat for this. Uh, you know, he, he's apparently somebody was telling me he was given an interview where he said that. Well, you know, that there there were other there were other problems with the employee, and and this was just the icing on on the cake. Well, okay, here here's the thing. First of all, I don't believe this employee did anything wrong. So if there were other problems, and that's the basis for firing her, this should not have been the catalyst. This she did, in my opinion. Nothing wrong in responding. Here, let's let's be honest here. She challenged the chancellor. She said something that was politically incorrect. Somebody complained because they got offended about it. Well, my God, you can't say anything to anybody nowadays without somebody getting offended by this particular stuff. So she's going to at least be offered her job back. Whether she decides to take it, I don't know. That's a different thing. But but here would be my advice to the chancellor at UW Lacrosse. Before you start getting rid of people because of things that they have said, maybe you want to talk to the lawyers first to make sure you are on solid grounds for doing that because when you fire someone and then have to hire them back after your own lawyers look at and said you you didn't follow proper procedure – Something wrong is going on. Nine twenty-five, Jeff. And I'm not defending. I don't. I don't take any position on you know whether the woman was right or not. It just this was not the right thing to happen to her. Nine twenty-five, Jeff Wagner. Six twenty, WTMJ. Nine twenty-eight, Jeff Wagner. Six twenty, WTMJ. Now keep in mind, UW Lacrosse is of course Snowflake Central. Uh, remember uh, about a year ago or so, there was a controversy because there was a semi-truck that was parked on the campus, and it, it had a bug screen on the front that was was a Confederate flag. Uh, it was a Confederate flag bug screen, and people just absolutely freaked out. The Chancellor for Student Affairs was making phone calls. They um, said, okay, we're going to apologize for the fear and angst caused by this banner. It was a bug screen on a semi that somebody had. 
Lacrosse Snowflake Central. So perhaps we should not be surprised that this latest story comes out of UW Lacrosse. All right. Big story number three. For God's sake, Mr. President, can't you give it up? This wiretap story continues to go on and on. Barack Obama denies it. The National Intelligence Director denies it. The FBI Director denies it. The Speaker of the House and the Chairman of the House Senate Intelligence Committees, all Republicans, say this did not happen. But President Trump, for the love of God, continues to insist, no matter how many people say that there was no secret tapping of his phones, he continues to say, yes, I I stand by this assertion. I will be proved correct. Okay, I, I just, whenever I hear this, and look, I think a lot of the stuff that Trump has done has been actually pretty good, but at the same time, whenever I hear this thing, that like I'm digging in my heels on this wiretapping thing, I, I'm reminded of the scene in the Kane Mutiny with Humphrey Bogart, like shaking the marbles at the end, going, you know, it was the strawberries, it was the strawberries. Okay, Trump gets a wild hair up a certain part of his anatomy at 535 on a Sunday morning a couple weeks ago. He sends out a stupid tweet, and now for the last two weeks, We have been arguing about something that clearly did not happen for his advisors. Just take away the phone. And I guess one of the things that is frustrating, like I say, I agree with a lot of the policies that he's come out with, but this type of stuff is a distraction. And the inability to be able to admit that you misspoke or you were wrong or you made a mistake, but instead just digging in and doubling down and continuing to dig the hole over and over and over again gets frustrating. And I also acknowledge it's a little bit frustrating that despite all sorts of evidence to the contrary or a complete lack of evidence of the point that there's some people out there who says, well, well, maybe maybe it could have happened. Yeah, well, you know, maybe, maybe anything could have happened. But for goodness sake, big story number three, Donald Trump refuses to let go of the wiretap allegations. Please, 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 please make it stop. So no Alpine Valley. Not for this year. Huh. Again, they said the artists that they would normally book uh, aren't, aren't touring, and so they or just... The, well, it's interesting. You know, I, I, okay. Have you been to Alpine Valley recently? No, it's been a long time. Okay, well, I go every year for Jimmy Buffett. That's right. Um, I always forget you're a parrot head. I, I, I am a parrot head, <laughs> and Alpine Valley, let me see, how can I say this? It's a pit. I mean, it's it just, it, it really, I mean, it's the same as it was in the 1970s. Sure, they I mean, haven't updated it, it in it, decades. Right, but it's... But it's still, uh, but I would go and, and it was, it's, I've been watching this because Buffett normally he plays at the end of August and I've been watching the, the tour list and mm-hmm. it hasn't come up. And, and one of the things he's playing Wrigley Field and when he played Wrigley, he's playing Wrigley Field in, I want to say it's like late June or July, something like that. And normally he's, he did that once before. And normally when he played Wrigley Field, there's something in his deal that he couldn't play Alpine later on. So, it's one or the other, huh? Uh, well, that's, that's that's at least that was what the rumor was. I don't, but so, um, but he. I mean, it's it's amazing because I mean, I remember Jane. You and I are the same age. I can remember when there, there were big shows at Alpine Valley every weekend. I mean, I absolutely. And, and lately, I mean, it's Buffett and Dave Matthews would play there. I mean, I'm talking about recently. Sure, I mean, Buffett, sure. You know, Dave yeah. Matthews, um, whatever iteration of the Grateful Dead is still around <laughs> would play there you know but uh, but that was it there was like I mean there were have huge gaps they didn't have very many shows now well it, it, it used to be one of the premier venues oh, yeah. and I just think that there's so much more competition now 
And with the changes that, that they're going to be doing to the Summerfest grounds, with right. the you know that's that's going to be make it even tougher. I well, plus think. I don't think there's that many acts that are out there anymore that can can fill those forty thousand seat barns. I mean, they're just they're you know you have. I mean, I saw the Rolling Stones there years and years ago on their Steel Wheels tour, but but now you've got you've got the the, the Stones or you two who play stadiums, and then you've got a lot of the other acts that can okay they, ten or fifteen thousand. Sure, but, but not, I mean that, not that 40. huge venue. So no, boy. Oh, I see. That's but they say that now they're going to take the time to to do some work, so they'll they can finally update some things and we'll see. I have no you, you want, no sir. I mean, you wonder whether that's that's really going to be the case or whether it'll be the end. That's the the huh, interesting. So I'm glad I'm I'm going to see Jimmy Buffett in Las Vegas April first. Oh, so fun. Yeah, so that's not, <laughs> uh, so at least I'm going to get the one Buffett fix. But oh no no Alpine Valley at all. Meaning no getting stuck in the parking lot with the mud. No. No oh, lines, memories. Oh, no lines for the porta potties. And gee, are those two people doing what I think they're doing on the hill? Yes, that's exactly what they're doing. I was almost refused entry once at Alpine Valley Ooh. because I was wearing shoes that had these little metal tips on the toe, and they were going to make me take my shoes off. And I and I said. It was a Billy Joel concert. I said, what am I going to do, get into a fight with someone during Piano Man? I mean, come on. So I did get it. I did get to go that, 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 See, see that's, 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 see, that's one of the things. Okay, so Jane Matineer almost doesn't get into I mean, Because God, of footwear, Jeff. Right, because, because of, footwear of footwear almost doesn't get in. That's like, I got thrown out of a dive strip club in Milwaukee once, you know. <laughs> I, I got thrown out of Arts Performing Center in 1970-something or other. Really? Yes, it's not one of the... I, I remember as it happened, as it happened, as I'm sitting on the curb, I'm thinking, I'm going to remember this 40 years ago. You and it wasn't my fault. Of course not, Jeff. Say. Of course not. I believe you. Uh-huh. I, okay. I, I, this, this, this program is completely off the rails. All right. No, just just completely and totally. All right. Here, 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 here's what happened. I, I, I got through college in three and a half years. Come back to Milwaukee. I'm working at an insurance company. Time insurance company. It became assurance. And yeah. now it's gone. Okay. So... Um, we go out. I, it's a bunch of guys I'm working with. We we go out to a Brewers game, and then afterwards, the guys all want to go down to Arts Performing Center, which I haven't been in in 40 years. But it probably hasn't changed. That's my that's that's Speaking kind of, of my guess. Updates, yes. Right. That, that's kind of my guess. So we're we're there. One of the guys I'm with decides he thinks it would be a good idea to get up on stage and join one of the dancers. And I say dancers in quotation marks. Uh-huh. Never a good idea. I was not that guy, <laughs> but I, I was with him. And so all of a sudden, all these bouncers come, and they, they grab him. His name was – he's probably listening because I know he's a listener. Bubba, I'm talking about you. <laughs> okay, so he's, he's going out the door, and I, I'm – okay, this is, this is – okay, like pre-lawyer Jeff, but I'm trying to say to, to the bouncers, relax, take this easy. You know, come on. He, he's just, he's, he's not, he doesn't mean anything. Right. I'm, I'm trying to, honest to God, mollify the situation. Next thing I know, I'm going <laughs> – the door, <laughs> and I remember sitting on the curb on on whatever that is, Kilbert or whatever, thinking I've just been thrown out of this place. How did this happen? <laughs> how, did, how did how did this happen? And and but it's given me a great story for forty years. <laughs> so you didn't get into Alpine Valley, and I got tossed out of arts. There you go. See, this see. is you got to listen to this program. We, we share all sorts of things. This is what you learn. Um, I'm going to get the program back on the rails in just two minutes. I promise. It's nine thirty eight. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. <laughs> 940 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, six years after Japan's nuclear nightmare. Some are now concerned the effects could impact the 2020 Olympics. Is there a chance the games could be moved? Get the whole story on Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 321 today.
Yes, see, listen to this show. Jane Matinair denied admittance to Alpine Valley because of footwear. A young version of Jeff Wagner tossed out of a really dive strip club. (laughs) I wasn't doing anything. I I wasn't. I was just, I was trying to be the peacemaker. Yeah, young punk. Yeah, don't tell us our job. There you go. All right. Just in time for St. Patrick's Day, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, which does a lot of really, really good work, has filed a lawsuit. I want to double back on this. We talked about it a week or two ago when the issue first came to to mind. Um, there is there is a product called Kerrygold Irish Butter. This is particularly timely for St. Patrick's Day. There are people who swear by this, who who just say, that this is the best butter that's around. I don't have a position. I have never had it. Um, Kerrygold Irish butter is not legally allowed to be sold in the state of Wisconsin. My understanding is it can be sold in the other 49 states, but you cannot buy it in the state of Wisconsin. You can drive to Illinois, pick it up, and bring it back, like the old oleo runs. You can order it, I guess, over the Internet, but it is against the law to be sold. Now, you might say, well, Jeff, what, why Why is it against the law to be sold? Because Wisconsin has a, a law that goes back to 1953. And what it says, the law says that any butter, margarine, whatever, butter or margarine has to be graded. And there's like three grades. There's triple A, double A, and single A, triple A being the highest. And the, 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 the type of, the, the type of, uh, milk that's used to make the butter, that's what really kind of defines, you know, what grade it is. The law in Wisconsin says in order to be sold legally, it has to either be graded in Wisconsin or graded by the federal government. Kerrygold Irish butter is graded by the Irish government and then it is exported. So it's not like this is just something that's coming out of somebody's kitchen somewhere. It is, in fact, graded. It is very, very high quality, but it doesn't have a Wisconsin grade on it. It is sold, like I say, I believe in all 49 other states, and it had been sold in the state of Wisconsin until a couple retailers started complaining that you know other retailers were selling it. It's against the law to sell this. You need to stop it. So today, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty has filed a lawsuit, that, um, and they did it out in Ozaki County, um, arguing that it, it violates the constitutional rights of consumers, not Wisconsin consumers, not to be able to purchase it. Now, I take no position on the, the merits of, of the lawsuit as to whether you have a constitutional right to be able to you know, purchase butter that hasn't been graded in the state of Wisconsin. But there is a larger issue here, and that larger issue to me is, why do we have this law on the books in the first place? And why in the world would we stop Wisconsin consumers, if they choose, from purchasing this particular product? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Is it time to free Wisconsin consumers to allow them to buy Kerrygold Irish butter, should they choose to do so? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. To me, this law makes absolutely no sense. As long as the stuff is being graded somewhere, why can't consumers buy it? We discuss next. And if you've ever had this, I'd be delighted to talk to you. I mean, is, is it worth it? 
But more importantly, do we really need the state protecting us from making a choice and purchasing something that people in 49 other states purchase? We discuss next. It's 944, and I think given the fact that today is St. Patrick's Day, this is a particularly timely topic. It's 948, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. While the White House continues to claim that Trump Tower was wiretapped during the campaign, intelligence officials are now saying otherwise. What's the real story in this back-and-forth saga? Scafidi and Bill Stett weigh in at 1.35 today. Yeah, this, I, see, I lump this story into the same category as the minimum markup law, this idea that that goes back to the 30s and the 40s and the 50s that we need to be protectionist. We we can't have competition. We need to say, you know, a grocery store or a convenience store can't have loss leaders. And the, the whole minimum markup law is that okay, if you wanna you wanna sell that you wanna sell that turkey, you know, for cost or below cost in order to get people into the store because they'll buy pies and other things that you can't do that. We don't trust you to do it. And of course the idea behind that was well, all right, maybe back in the 1930s or 40s when you only had one grocery store that you could go to, if you had a store that did that, they'd run out all they'd run all the competition out of business and then they would increase prices. Okay, that that's the thinking. That's if if it was ever true in 1940, it's not true in 2017. And the same thing is true of this ridiculous rule on on butter. I mean, the All right, I understand that you want to protect consumers from getting inferior products or things that's going to make them sick or stuff like that. Obviously, the state has a role in that. And that's, I mean, that's why we have these huge hassles that brew with, you know, people being able to, you know, the whole argument about whether people should be able to go buy unpasteurized milk, you know, from farmers and things like that. The idea is there's no quality control on this. People could get sick, all that type of stuff. We need the government to, to step in and save us from ourselves. In this particular case, that's not what's going on here. You have this stuff, this this you know butter that's made in Ireland. It is graded in Ireland. Um, if you look at Irish safety standards and quality stuff, some of the highest quality foodstuffs come from Ireland. They're very very much in demand, as is this butter. So it, it's graded. It's safe. Um, people can decide whether they want it or not. And the fact and my evidence that it is safe is the fact that it is for sale in 49 other states with no problem. And people in Wisconsin can, I understand, order it over the Internet. So you can have it shipped to you at high cost, and that's okay. But you can't go into, you know, Woodman's or Pick and Save or Sendex or wherever and buy it. That, to me, is absolutely crazy. And the only reason behind this was, I, I think back... In the mid-50s, this was part of that whole oleo-margarine war type of thing where the dairy industry in Wisconsin, incredibly powerful then and powerful now, decided that they wanted to protect themselves from the competition that was being offered by margarine. So, okay, we're going to have these protectionist laws. We're going to make it difficult for stuff to come in and to be sold in Wisconsin because we want to make people buy butter, and we want to make people buy predominantly Wisconsin butter. Okay, great. That's fine. I understand it back in the early 1950s to the extent that there was a purpose for that. I don't know. I wasn't doing a talk show then. But in 2017, 
given the different choices that we have, do we really need the government, the state of Wisconsin, telling us that we can't have this? And this would be my comment to my dear friend Scott Walker. You know, given all the real issues that we are spending money on and trying to enforce things, do we really need the uh, Department of Agriculture running around trying to check out whether grocery stores are selling this and then sending cease and desist letters to the grocery stores telling them, oh, my God, you've got this Kerrygold Irish butter. You know, you you got to pull it out of the market. I mean, just let the market decide. This isn't a health issue. No reason not to be allowed to sell this. And I'd put this in one of these antiquated laws. The sooner the legislature gets rid of it, the better. 955, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, coming up in about 10 minutes or so. The governor of Florida, a newly elected prosecutor, a dead police officer, and the death penalty. It's quite a story. I'll tell you all about it. During his entire career with the Brewers, Scooter Jeanette has been nothing more than a second baseman. Will a lack of versatility be the downfall of his career in Milwaukee? Greg Matzik sits down with Scooter at spring training here at this evening on Sports Central. That is at 615. Um, I'm going to be curious to see how this all plays out because it's sometimes people do things and you get a short term benefit, but in the long run, it, it hurts you. It's kind of like what's the cliche penny wise pound foolish. The other night, Rachel Maddow um, sends out this tweet, what about an hour before her show is going to start? And she's the uber lefty host on MSNBC saying, I've got Donald Trump's tax returns. Breaking news. And, of course, everybody, our, our director of digital, our digital director, Dan, who's a great guy, he sends out, oh, you need to know this. And so I actually tuned in. I watched it. There is no way in God's green earth I would have otherwise watched MSNBC. But, it, but I watched it. And as I've told Dan, I want that 30 minutes of my life back, and I hold him responsible for it. But, but people tuned in. Now, of course, it turned out to be a complete and total nothing burger. And even more importantly, if you're watching the show, I, I think Rachel Maddow beclowned herself because she spends the first 20 minutes, instead of just going to the tax return, she buries the lead and goes off into this weird, lefty, down-the-rabbit-hole rant about Russian oligarchs and you know firing U.S. attorneys and all these different types of things, and finally gets to the, the punchline, which is, you know, Donald Trump made $150 million in 2005 and paid 35-some million in, in taxes. Okay, you know, what, what's the story? Well, in any event, uh, the numbers are in, and that Tuesday episode just, and this does show the power of, of the tweet, um, huge ratings, highest ratings she ever had. According to the data, 4.1 million viewers, and I'm embarrassed to admit I was one of them, beats out Fox News, which typically crushes her. CNN beats out the rest of cable television. That viewership figure was enough to beat out ABC and Fox broadcasts during the 9 p.m. hour like I say, highest-rated program ever for the Rachel Maddow Show. So I, I'm sure short-term, everybody there is like popping champagne corks. This is great. Look at these numbers. The, the long-term thing was this was completely overblown. It turned into a nothing burger, and you know she's actually been ripped, deservedly so, big time in the media for the way she handled this. So, yeah, you get the one-day bump. What will be curious is to whether anybody, Anybody who tuned in goes back to that show because of the job she did. So, yeah, you, you get the one-day bump, and that's cool. You get the ratings for that day. But I think, big picture, I think what she did long-term is going to hurt her a lot more than help her 
because this was an overblown, overhyped, nothing burger of a story. And even at then, you had to sit through 20 minutes of through the rabbit hole stuff to get to the nothing burger. Why would anybody go back? All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, the governor, a newly elected prosecutor in Florida, a dead police officer, and the death penalty we'll discuss. It's 10.08. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Still can't get over this. No Alpine Valley shows this summer. And um, again, the number of shows they've been having have been down drastically. And uh, I, there's only a handful of performers that they have. But as somebody who used to go on a yearly basis to see Jimmy Buffett, I, I hope they intend to. I hope this is not the end for that facility. But at the same time, if they are going to finally put some money into it and upgrade some of the facilities down there, that would... Um, that would not be the worst thing in the world. All right. Uh, this is a story which is getting a lot of national attention. And it raises a number of these, it raises a number of these difficult issues. And I actually have been, I've been curious as to what your reaction to the story is going to be. Um, goes back, goes back a ways. It, let me, let me share with you the story when, when this first happened. Schools, I mean, this is the way the Washington Post reported this. Um, this is out of Orlando, Florida. Schools were locked down, roads were closed, and two law enforcement officers died near Orlando as a month-long hunt closed in on a murder suspect and turned violence violent. Accused of killing his pregnant ex-girlfriend, Mark Heath Lloyd, shot Sergeant Deborah Clayton multiple times when she confronted him outside a Walmart near the Pine Hills area west of Orlando, police said. Lloyd then fled the scene and remains at large. This wasn't the end of the violence. A sheriff's deputy was struck and killed by a sport utility vehicle while responding to the shooting of the officer. Another deputy took fire while trying to stop Lloyd's presumed getaway vehicle. Um, hours later, as hundreds of local, state, and federal officers scoured the streets and apartment blocks, um, they urged him to turn himself in. Otherwise, it's going to be a very, very risky operation. The mayhem began early in the morning when a 17-year-old, 17-year police veteran went shopping at a Walmart in the Pine Hills area. Witnesses said that Clayton, this is the Deborah Clayton, she's a sergeant, a married mother of two, was putting her bags in a trunk when a customer walked up and told her, there's a wanted man inside the store. Police had been looking for Lloyd for about a month, the day he allegedly shot and killed his pregnant ex-girlfriend. He was considered to be armed and dangerous. So here, there's this massive manhunt for a guy who's a murderer. He's apparently in a Walmart shopping. There's an off-duty cop who's you know out in the parking lot. Somebody comes in and says, "I don't." Somehow they recognize her as a police officer. Hey, th- this is going on. So, um, Clayton uh, turned back towards the Walmart just as the suspect walked out. I heard her tell him, stop. He pulled out a gun, shot her multiple times in cold blood, and then ran away, took off running. Um, the suspect fired backward as he, ra- as he ran. Um, she was shot twice in the chest, once in the abdomen, she died on the scene. Um, in the early scramble for the suspect, an Orange County Sheriff's deputy on a motorcycle was struck by a vehicle, etc., etc. Um, another deputy spotted the speeding vehicle that matched the description of Lloyd's. 
The driver opened fire, hitting the deputy's vehicle, but not harming him. Um, Lloyd allegedly carjacked the vehicle and escaped. Again, ultimately, they ended up um, catching him after a massive, massive manhunt. So here you have the the story. You've got, you know, a guy kills his pregnant ex-girlfriend, is on the lam, kills a police officer in cold blood, flees, carjacking, all these type of things. Florida has the death penalty. And a previous prosecutor was getting ready to try this as a death penalty case. There's a new prosecutor, and, and in Florida, they call them state's attorneys. Here we call them district attorneys. So the, when, when you hear state's attorneys, they think district attorneys. You have a district attorney in Milwaukee County. You have a district attorney in Ozaki County, Waukesha County, and they're each independently elected. The state's attorney for the area of Florida is just been uh, elected, and um, her name is Aramis Ayella. Just been elected, so she, she's new to the job. She comes in and announces on yesterday that you know she's looked at this case, and even though it it is potentially a, a death penalty case, in that the the all the elements of the death penalty have been satisfied, she does not believe in the death penalty. She says she doesn't think it's a deterrent. She doesn't think it protects law enforcement officers. And so she is going to exercise her discretion and not pursue the death penalty for this multiple murderer, including one of the murders being a, a police officer. Well, the governor of the state says, no, wait, wait a second. You know, um, you, you know, this is this is wrong. This is outrageous. All the police unions and things and the general community is, is up in arms at this. She says it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not going to do this. Now, in Florida, there is apparently a provision in the law which allows the the governor to remove state's attorneys from cases. And that's, that's what he does. He says, all right, if you're not going to seek the death penalty in this case, I'm going to pull you off the case, and I'm going to assign this to you know, another prosecutor, presumably you know, some other district attorney in some other county that doesn't have a concern with this. Well, the DA, the, I'm calling him DA, and again, I, it's a state's attorney. The, the state's attorney is now being, I mean, there's, there's this puff piece in the New York Times today. I mean, ta- I mean, the headlines, Florida prosecutor takes a bold stand against the death penalty, essentially patting her on the back for making the decision that she's not going to try to put this multiple murderer cop killer to death 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line now whenever we discuss the death penalty it's always very interesting to me because i understand that there's some people who have objections to it on moral grounds there's some people who are concerned that there's the possibility that some innocent person might be put to death but but in general we still have this as the law in many many states wisconsin is not a death penalty state but in a situation where you have a guy who, let us assume for the sake of argument, that he is guilty, and that will be the, the premise of this, murdered his pregnant ex-girlfriend, executed a police officer in cold blood, and did all these other things, should the district attorney, the state's attorney, be refusing to seek the death penalty because she doesn't believe in it? Or 
Is this one of those cases where you say, if there was ever a case that called for the death penalty, this is it? What do you think? 414-799-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss next. It's 1015. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, it all comes down to this. Division One and Two Boys Basketball Championship Games are tomorrow in Madison. Our Preps Live coverage kicks off at 615. Listen live at WTMJ.com or on the WTMJ mobile app. Yeah, th- this this situation we're talking about out, out of Florida where you have the guy who murdered his pregnant ex-girlfriend and then executed a police officer in cold blood in a Walmart parking lot. The, the decision by the prosecutor, the newly elected state's attorney, district attorney in the Orlando area, isn't based on an individual decision. It's not like she said, well, I I think under this particular case, the facts of this case, I don't think it meets the standards for the death penalty. That That's not what she's saying. She's come out and said, even though the law provides for the death penalty, I don't believe in the death penalty so I am not going to seek it. And that's it's an across-the-board pronouncement. Uh, let's see, on the WTMJ talk and text line, 414-799-1620. Let's see, Carolyn Menominee Falls writes, she is practicing law in the wrong state. Her personal view should not be part of charging this man. Hopefully she doesn't get reelected. Um, Dan writes, did the state's attorney take an oath to uphold the laws of the state of Florida? If so, she should be removed from the case because she is refusing to do so. Let's talk to Rick in Milwaukee. Rick, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, two things. First of all, law, by definition, is intended to take the subjectivity out of behavior. It's a line in the sand. And if the law is there, then she doesn't have a choice about mm-hmm. obeying it. And then your uh, text comment there that the um, the, uh, the uh, state prosecutor took a an oath of office. Right. I'm sure that oath of office says that she's going to uphold the laws of the state of Florida. And I don't think that she should only be removed from the case. I think she's violating her oath and should be removed from office. Yeah, th- that's that, my comment. No, thanks for calling. No, that, that's that's a very interesting premise. Now, there's always see, there's always some degree of discretion that goes into a prosecutor making a decision. And I do believe that prosecutors should have wide latitude in, in kind of making the decisions of what charges are appropriate and things like that. And in this particular case, if the woman, if the prosecutor had said, gee, I don't think, for whatever reason, I don't think this this meets death penalty criteria. All right, that, that would be one thing, and then you could criticize her discretion, her use of her discretion. But this is no discretion at all. This is, I don't believe in the death penalty. Now, of course, the criminal's friend, the ACLU, they're, they're, they're upset with the governor for pulling her off the case. The uh, head of the ACLU down there, I'm looking at the story in the New York Times, my God, this is a dangerous president. precedent. Whenever the governor doesn't like the exercise of prosecutorial discretion by an elected prosecutor, he's going to step in and appoint somebody else. No, Mr. ACLU criminal friend, that's not what the governor's doing. The governor is saying there's no prosecutorial discretion here. This is not, again, a situation where the the DA is saying, I don't think this meets the standards. This is one where he's saying, she's saying she's not going to enforce the law. And, and yes, I, I want I want somebody who's at least willing to look at this and say, all right, is it a death penalty case or not? 
Anne in Whitefish Bay. Anne, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Um, I guess my feeling is that either you believe in the death penalty or you do not. And there isn't a case where one could say that this would require the death penalty because if you don't believe in it, you do not believe in it. I don't believe it deters crime. Mm -hmm. I know it's more expensive to actually kill a person than it is to keep them in prison for life. Um, well, and, and again, I guess I would say you, you are entitled to your opinion, and, and reasonable people can disagree on that. But if you are sworn to uphold the laws of the state of Florida and you are the prosecutor, should you be able to ignore the law that is on the books because you don't agree with the death penalty or you don't like it? Well, I think she is morally obligating herself to take this stand, and perhaps the legislature in Florida should take a look at the death penalty mm -hmm. and take it off the, the law, uh, take it out of being lawful. Well, but but it, but right now, right now, the reality is it's not. It, it is on the books. She's supposed to enforce the law, and if she's not willing to enforce the law, is the governor wrong in pulling her off the case? If she feels she can't morally do it, fine, go with God. That that's great. But if they pull her up, but then. Isn't the governor then right to say, okay, if you have a moral objection to it, fine, I'm going to find somebody who is willing to apply the law as it's written? Well, I suppose he does, but she was appointed to the job, so I, I assume... I think elected, actually. I think oh, she was, was elected. elected? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, but it, well, but it doesn't Well, then matter. I think she is probably very, very capable of doing the job if she was elected, hopefully, and not, not every uh, person right. that we elect, like our president, is capable of doing the job. But you had to get that, that Trump jab in there, didn't you, there? Yeah. I, I kind of did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. I don't know if I'm sorry. I have not no, been listening. No, to no, no. That's no. That's fair. That's fair. I'm, I'm gonna. I'd let you get the jump. The Trump I, jab I, in. No, thanks. No, thanks for calling. And I, I, I and, and and look, I, I appreciate that reasonable people can disagree about the death penalty. I appreciate that there are law and order folks who, because of religious beliefs or because of practical concerns don't think that the death penalty makes sense, don't think it should be applied. And, and that's that's actually a debate for, for another day. My, what I think is the uptake on this story, though, is if you, are the dis, if you are a district attorney sworn to enforce the law, I don't think you have the right to decide to pick and choose. What if you are, for example, what if you're, you're the district attorney and you think the war on drugs has been a failure, and you think, uh, from a libertarian perspective, if people want to inject themselves with heroin, that's nobody else's business. All right? Now, I think, again, you know, most people would disagree with that, but it doesn't matter. So you simply say, okay, I am going to declare my county to be a drug prosecution-free zone because I don't believe in this, so I'm not going to enforce the law. Well, I think in a case like that, think the governor and there is this other aspect of the law that the governor allow is allowed to in extraordinary circumstances you know replace prosecutors so uh, to me that's what this is all about she just says hey on a I, I'm a prince on a matter of principle i can't enforce the law okay fine then we'll find somebody who can tony in greendale you're in 620 wtmj good morning good morning i agree with you wholeheartedly i think that the woman before what she apparently doesn't understand is elected or appointed this person is an officer of the court this person is obligated to enforce the laws and it, it, it's not a, if you have a strong personal opinion and you don't feel you can do it you recuse yeah. yourself yeah 
Yeah, you right. You you step aside yeah. and let some just like just like you know you would step aside if there was a conflict of interest or something like that. All right, you don't feel that you're comfortable with the death penalty cases. I don't think she should be compelled to do something that she morally opposes. But she can't just simply say we're going to ignore the law in assessing the case. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Thanks. Absolutely. You got, I, I, that, that's what the whole point of recusal is for. Correct. Oh, absolutely. Right. For for those types of situations. Thanks for call. I mean, I think the governor. And again, there, there's all this controversy. And again, you've got uh, you've you've got the you know anti death penalty folks leading with the ACLU going, "Oh, this is terrible. The governor's pulled her off the case." Well, the governor pulled her off the case because not because she exercised her prosecutorial discretion, but because she refused to exercise any discretion at all and i do go back to my basic premise i understand that people can legitimately agree about the or disagree about the death penalty um i don't know whether it's a deterrent or not i don't even want to go down that route but i do say somebody who executes his pregnant girlfriend and then murders a police officer in cold blood if there was ever a situation where the death penalty would be appropriate seems to me this is the case It's 1036, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One of the political rumors circulating is that Milwaukee County District Attorney John Chisholm contemplating a run against Governor Scott Walker in 2018. (laughs) Yeah, okay with that one. I don't, wow, boy, you want to talk about, you want to talk about a 40% solution. That's John Chisholm running for statewide office against Scott Walker. All right, pet lovers of... Wisconsin, I, I, I just um, I talk a lot about my, my little dog Sasha, who um, I just just adore. When when I got Sasha, um, she's a Pomeranian, and um, it was it was actually after a, a long search, you know, checking out different breeders and, and things like that, and ultimately found a breeder in the Upper Peninsula um, who had really good reputation and, and hooked up. So I mean, whenever whenever Sasha irritates me, like having to wake up at 3.30 in the morning after I've only gone to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning, like this morning, to have to use the ladies' room, I'm like, Sasha, you just got to sleep through the night or else else it's back to the Upper Peninsula. But I'm not sending her back to the Upper Peninsula. You're, you're not going back to the UP, but, you know, it's, it's kind of like, oh, my goodness gracious. But as a responsible pet owner, obviously you want to make sure, at least I want to make sure, that, that I, I was getting my pet, I was getting my dog from a responsible breeder, and I wanted to make sure that there weren't health issues that were involved in this, so I, I checked that out. Now, I know a number of people uh, don't go through breeders, and instead they go through the Humane Society. Again, that's a, that's a you know, rescue dogs or whatever, and that, that's a wonderful way to be as well, and there's all these different sources. One of the other ways that, that people get pets, um, particularly dogs and cats, is they will, they will go to pet stores. Matter of fact, one of my friends and colleagues, back when I, when I got my dog, um, it was interesting because he was saying to me that he had been, I want to say he'd been in New York. I forget what city it had been, but he, he'd been in a city for something for like the better part of a week. And he'd been wandering, <clears throat> he'd been going around and he went into this pet store and he found this Pomeranian that he was just absolutely in love with. And he was trying to decide whether he was going to buy the Pomeranian at the pet store or whatever, and ultimately ended up deciding not to do it. But so he's been living vicariously through me and, and, and my Pomeranian. 
but he, he made a decision, and it wasn't because of the pet store. It was just, okay, we're, I'm not ready for this in, in my life. But a number of people do buy in pet stores. Let me tell you the story about Roseville, Minnesota. Um, Roseville, Minnesota has now become the first city in Minnesota and one of a few cities in the country to ban the commercial sale of dogs and cats at, at pet stores. They've passed an ordinance, and it's based on a report that's out there by the Department of Agriculture that suggests that you know pet stores, in, in some cases, don't take good care of animals. Animal rights advocates for years and years have been criticizing the practice of selling dogs and cats in pet stores, saying that animals in store cage, keeping animals in store cages is bad for their health, and that selling them encourages unscrupulous puppy mill operations. Um, that they say that you know animals that you buy in a pet store often incur higher veterinarians' costs, etc., etc., etc. So this community has now said uh, no, no selling of dogs and cats in pet stores uh los angeles the los angeles city council you know earlier um, like i guess in spring of last year um passed a similar ordinance that makes permanent a ban on pet store sale of commercially bred cats dogs and in this case rabbits as well all right 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line like i say i got my dog through through a breeder because we wanted a specific type type of dog i know lots and lots of people who go down to like i say the humane society and they find you know what turns out to be the perfect dog for them all right should we should we take this practice and should milwaukee should wisconsin should we be like la should we be like this town in minnesota and essentially say no sale of cats and dogs allowed at pet stores because of a variety of things or is this a matter where if, you know, it's a legitimate business, if the consumer wants to go and buy a dog or a cat at a pet store, should they have the right to do that? Where did you get your pet, and what do you think about pet stores? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1041, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten forty-five, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. There's a, now a town in Minnesota which has become one of the first cities in the country. Although LA has the same rule to ban the commercial sale of cats and dogs in pet stores. All right, they say that this encourages puppy mills. That animals that you buy in pet stores tend to be less healthy than animals that you get from other places. And the argument is that that keeping animals in cages where they're displayed is essentially cruel punishment to the animals, right? Should we outlaw, essentially, the sale of cats and dogs at pet stores? Let's start with George in McGuanago. George, good morning. You're first. Well, good morning, Jeff. How are you today? I am well for a Friday. I want the sun to come out, though, for St. Patrick's Day, you know? Oh, don't we all? <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> you know, the, the uh, points that you made were uh, were, were good. Uh, anytime Los Angeles has a... Uh, leads the country in uh, in these novel ideas, I think we should all just get lockstep <laughs> and uh, follow. Yeah, well. uh, and after, after all, they have more uh, pet psychiatrists out there <laughs> than what we do in Wisconsin. Yeah. And I hear that 
one of the chief complaints of uh, of their dogs is that, uh, again, if they were raised in a puppy mill, that uh, it is just devastating for them. Well, the, I mean, George, I, I assume there's a touch of, a touch of sarcasm that, that's going on there that doesn't always work well on the radio. But, I mean, right, I, as a general rule, just because it comes out of L.A. doesn't mean it's necessarily something we should do. But doesn't mean that it's doesn't mean that it's a bad idea. I mean, is it given the fact that there's, you know, you, you can find you can find breeders and you can do the research on breeders, given the fact that you have, you know, a ton of choices of different dogs that you can find at the Humane Society. I mean, is there some legitimacy to this? 414-799-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Karen in Neshota. Karen, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Karen. You know, I agree with that. I think they should get rid of all of the pet stores. My personal um, personal experiences are that, you know, the, the dogs that have come out of there have had health issues. I, I I don't know if I can say it on the no, radio. No, 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 don't, no, don't mention any names of any stores or anything okay, like that. Okay, right. That's what I thought after right. I talked. Right, earlier. yeah, no, don't, but but you think but, that... But it, they, you know, they, and a person, a friend, did work there, and the, the dogs that weren't taken were euthanized simply because they weren't purchased, and they were puppies and adult dogs. So... Mm-hmm. If that can happen, you know, and but that, and they also have a website, so I don't know. I think we should take it a step further, and sometimes somehow try to regulate stores like this from selling on websites, also. Okay. If they're, if they're land based in Wisconsin, they should also have to have a. Okay. Well, thanks for the call, Karen. I mean, okay. I guess here, I, I just I, I don't have a frame of reference because uh, again, I, I got my dog through. I got my dog through a breeder, and believe me, there was a lot of research that went into, you know, finding finding a particular breeder. There, there seems to be this assumption that there are not reputable pet stores, and when I'm talking about pet stores, I'm talking about the stores that sell the animals as opposed to the stores that sell the feed and the toys and things like that. I mean, is is that is that a valid premise? I have no doubt that there are probably some unreputable pet stores that are out there. But at the same time, my guess is they don't stay in business that long. Let's see. On our text line, it's a good idea. There are several avenues to purchase a pet through private breeders. That's true. Our family has adopted several pets through shelters, and it's a great system to support, and I have no problem with that as well. I have not been impressed with the condition of pet stores visited in the past. The animals become commodities rather than living creatures. Uh, let's see. Stuart sends a text. The U.K. banned puppy sales in pet stores for years. My dog followed us home four years ago today. She was three months old. Um, I get, look, do I, do I think that we need a law to this effect? I, I guess no. Do I think it is perfectly appropriate to regulate you know, pet stores and have checks to make sure that there's not animal abuse that's going on? Absolutely. Am I just as appalled as everybody when you see the reports on TV about some of the puppy mills that are out there, absolutely, I, I, I am, and I think authorities need to do everything they can to crack down on it. Because my problem is, I'm just not willing to assume that because it's a pet store that that automatically means that you're going to get an an animal that's been mistreated or an animal that's going to have health issues, etc. I am sure there are some pet stores where that ends up being the case. Um, as far as keeping the animals in cages, well, I mean, aren't they 
kept in cages like at the Humane Society and things like that. I mean, sometimes that's just how it works. And it's not a knock on the Humane Society. I, I support the Humane Society. I make contributions to the Humane Society. I think they do a wonderful job. I just don't know that I believe that you need a law which says that you're not allowed to do this. Having said that, if you find some unreputable pet store operator who's selling dogs that are sick or whatever, I think you come down on them like a house, like a ton of bricks or mistreating their animals, etc. I guess I kind of lump this to some of the things that people get worked up about with the circus and stuff like that, where they're saying, well, you know, these animals are automatically being mistreated. I'm not willing to assume that that is the uh, that the case, that they're automatically being um, in that case. Okay, I have another text. I'm screaming at you right now. Uh, as a volunteer from a shelter, these stores need to be stopped. In capital letters, we do, in fact, need a law. Well, unreputable, poorly run, mismanaged stores, absolutely. But, I mean, are there really no reputable pet stores out there? It, really? It's 1052, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1054, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, a decorated Wisconsin veteran, recently walked 2,700 miles from Milwaukee to California. What sparked that journey? Get the full story in the Wisconsin's Afternoon News section of WTMJ.com. And by the way, once you go to our new, very much approved website, and it was actually always pretty good, but uh, check out lots of stuff going on. What we do on a daily basis is we... Um, highlight some of the stories that we are going to be talking about and then put the links into them. I mean, for example, our death penalty conversation. I was telling you about what was happening in Florida. We've got a piece up about that. It links to the stories if you want to read more. Every day, the three big things that we start the program off with, they are featured there. Uh, the story we were just talking about with the, the pet stores, there's a link to that as well if you want to read about that so you can kind of follow those things. And while you are on the website, um, we we now podcast uh, much of the broad much of the programming here. If you just click on the link that says WTMJ Mobile, you'll see some of our various podcasts that you can download: Scafidi and Billstat, My Show, Sports Central, and then a number of other shows that um, some voices that you don't hear on the radio all the time, but. Um, I know that was one of the things when we first started the new time slot. People were saying, wait, we've got to have the podcast because we want to listen to the program, but we, you know, we can't be around for three and a half hours because we've got other stuff going on. I get it. So you can download, check out the podcast, and I very much appreciate that. I want to just circle back in a minute or two. And coming up in the next hour of the program, we're going to be doing, of course, our week in review, uh, talking about something new with Saturday Night Live and how life continues to be amazingly cheap in uh, Milwaukee County. But I want to double back on something we discussed earlier yesterday. And I I don't know that there is an answer to it because I'm not a let's regulate things type of guy. But and I'm also a free market type of guy. And I appreciate that there is this whole issue with supply and demand. But there's a real fine line between supply and demand and free market economics and flat-out price gouging. For example, in the aftermath of a hurricane, you know, the people that move into a place and start selling bottled water for $5 a a bottle, okay, those people are profiteers, and there's laws against that, and I appreciate it. Now, it's not the same as after a hurricane, but 
the stuff that has been going on in downtown Milwaukee over the last day or two, while I don't think there needs to be a law against it, it does demonstrate, well, not some of the better angels of human nature. We have all these people that are in town for the NCAA games. And a number of the downtown parking lots, the operators, because there's fewer parking spaces than ever, you, as a result of the Bucks Arena, you've got that big city structure that used to be across from the Bradley Center that is now torn down. The parking lot that used to be behind the Bradley Center, the circus, surf, surface parking lot, that's gone. A lot of the street parking in the area is gone because of, of construction. And now you have the folks who regularly come into downtown to work. And on top of that, You've got all these people who have come in from out of state to take in games or maybe some people from around the state who said, hey, I think it would be cool, even though I'm not a fan of any of the teams, to go see the NCAA. And so the parking operators have responded all the same way the Somali pirates respond when they have a chance. It's let's jack up the parking rates to see how high we can go. Um, There's been people charging 50 Seventy-five dollars. Matter of fact, there's a story that Fox Six had. Woman who works in downtown Milwaukee shows up in the lot that she parks in every day for seven dollars. It's now seventy-five dollars. Seventy-five dollars. And I understand that on the one hand you want to strike while the iron is hot, and hey, if we can get seventy-five dollars because we've got all these people in from you know out of town. And I understand that parking to be near the Bradley Center is not the same as having to buy water during a hurricane. And I'm not arguing that there should be an ordinance for this. But still, when I look at the people that are doing this, to me, there is a huge degree of exploitation that's there. Does everybody deserve a right to make money? Yes. But it's sort of like one of the first things I learned in economics class when I was in college about the stock market. The old saying that bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. And parking operators that are jacking up their parking rates to 50 and 60 and $75 for people who are coming in that want to park close to the Bradley Center, they are pigs. It's 1108, Jeff White, 620 WTMJ. Glad to have you with us. If you're out and about celebrating St. Patrick's Day, designated drivers, be careful, but have a little bit of fun as well. All right. The, the Milwaukee Theater, which used to be the Milwaukee Auditorium. For people of a certain age, you will remember when we had the Milwaukee Auditorium. Back in the day, that's where I used to go watch professional wrestling, all-star wrestling, the Crusher, the Bruiser, Mad Dog, Vashon. They they would all wrestle at the Milwaukee Auditorium. Um, it is a wonderful, the, the Milwaukee Theater is a wonderful venue. The issue I've always had is we spent 40-some million dollars renovating the, the venue, and it, it's turned into a, a wonderful facility But the problem is it is grossly underutilized because there's a lot of other facilities around and it's competing and losing its battle for competition with venues like the the Riverside Theater, which is a great place to see a show as well that doesn't have the the support, that doesn't have the backing of public money. But anyhow, the Milwaukee Theater, um, now they have sold naming rights. This was announced a couple, about a month or two ago, and so... Now in the 4,100-seat theater, it will no longer be the Milwaukee Theater. It will be, let me see, the Miller High Life Theater under new naming rights. So you got Miller Park, and now you've got the, not the the Miller High Life Milwaukee Theater, just the, the Miller High Life Theater. Huh. Now, 
that's all good. I'm glad they're bringing some money in, but it would be nice to see them figure out a way to get more shows and things like that there, which would really support the taxpayer investment. Earlier this week, we talked about the announcement that Donald Trump had to, he, he wants to reduce the size of the federal government. And as we have discussed in the past, the, the reality is, over the last 10 years, the private sector has seen re- reductions. There, there, there's no question about it. And my guess is, if you work in the private sector, you have had situations where maybe it's happened to you, maybe it's happened to a family member, maybe it's happened to just a friend or a coworker. They, they've been let go through no fault of their own, simply the economic conditions and you know restructuring or whatever buzzword they happen to use to describe it. That is the way the private sector has worked. The public sector, particularly the federal public sector, has been largely immune from that. Um, and President Trump and people close to him believe that the, the federal government has gotten way, way too big. It has too many people. It spends way too much money and is too inefficient. And so in this latest budget that they're proposing, they're going to try to rein that in. My experience working for the U.S. Attorney's Office for as long as I did was I, I and, and having seen the way the federal government works, I understand that that point. This is not a knock on federal workers. There's a lot of great federal workers, but the difference with government employment, particularly with federal government employment, is that unlike the private sector, where there's always going to be a bottom 10% of the employees. I mean, look, this is let's face it, the reality is in any workplace, government, private sector, doesn't matter. There's going to be, you know, 20, 30% of the employees who are exceptional, the, the top performers, the stars. And then you're going to have, you know, another, I don't know, 70%, 60% who, who are, are serviceable. They're, they're, they're good. They're, I mean, they, they, they do the job. They're not great, but they're not really, really lousy. You know, you'd like them to try to perform better or whatever, but they're, but they're not problems. And then you've got the lemons. You've got the bottom 10%. This is not a knock on federal employees because it's no different in any workforce. But the difference between federal employees and people in the private sector is for those lemons, the bottom 10%, it is almost impossible to get rid of them. You, in, you know, in the private sector, if you've hired somebody and they're just not performing, they're a lemon. It might be a wonderful person, but they're not performing. They're not showing up on time. They're just not doing the job. They don't get it. Whatever. There's all sorts of reasons why people can't do stuff. All right. In the private sector, you whistle them in and you say, okay, sorry, you're you're gone. It's not working out. Here's a box. You know, this is what we call the box of future endeavors. Put your stuff in it and head out the door. You, You can do that in the private sector. In the federal system, as a practical matter, you can't. And again, I, I saw this firsthand with that very small segment of workers that really were not in the right jobs. They, they just they, they just weren't. And no matter how much you worked with them and how much you tried to help them, they, they just they weren't able to do the jobs. But you can't get rid of them. Now, I was thinking about this because there's a big story in the Washington Post today talking about how you know President Trump's budget, which seeks to reduce you know, the numbers of the federal workforce, the story is firing federal workers isn't as easy as the budget makes it seem because they talk about this term reduction in force, but then it, it makes the point. You can't, you can't just 
lay off a federal worker. You have to have this formal process, which requires lengthy, God, they're lengthy, expensive, and it's, it's disruptive to the, to the workforce. And, you know, if there's unions that are involved, it becomes, you know, even more complex. So, you know, I understand what President Trump is doing. And by the way, I support him because I don't believe, again, I, I think it's perfectly reasonable to try to, to try to restrain the growth of the federal government. But again, it's not as easy as it seems. Because I tell you, there's a lot of federal, a lot of federal agencies that are headed by political appointees who have a limited amount of time, and they come in with this idea that we're going to kind of clean this up and we're going to get rid of the deadwood and all those things, and then they just become frustrated because once you burrow into the federal bureaucracy as an employee, unless you commit a crime, and sometimes even if you commit a crime, it's going to be impossible to get rid of you. So, I mean, the the bureaucrats. They know that. The people that are there know it. So when President Trump talks about wanting to reduce the size of the federal government, you support it, but the devil is in the details. And I think once he tries to, once he actually tries to get in and say, okay, we're going to reduce, we're going to get rid of 10% of the people at this particular department. Nobody's going to miss them. That's a noble idea, except good luck trying to do that. Speaking about President Trump, we'll discuss his latest poll numbers in just a minute. It's 1115. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. By Monday, the NCAA tournament will be whittled down from 64 to 16 teams. It's amazing how quickly that happens. But is your bracket busted after just day one? Greg Maxick dives into the Badgers, Golden Eagles, and all things March Madness this evening. Sports Central at 735. I think Greg is still in Arizona. So, uh, man, you want to talk about a guy with a great sense of timing. Got out Sunday um, right before the big stores, uh, right before the big stores. Okay, uh, 414-799-1620 is the Iconet Mortgage talk and text line. There's an interesting disconnect that, that is going on. Um, I've been following the Fox News polls, and there's lots of polls that are out there about the um, how people are reacting to President Trump. Um, as a general rule, one of the things that that you see happening is especially when it comes to the economy and more and more people you you vote your pocketbook that that's just the, the reality more and more people have confidence in the economy for example um october of last year when they asked people is the economy getting better worse or staying the same this is the fox news poll 37% said it's getting better 48% said it's getting worse, 14% say it's saying the same. So getting worse, 48, getting better, 37. Not too optimistic. That is October. That's before the elections. Now, Fox News poll taken last week, 48% say it's getting better, 29% say it's getting worse. So there's been a, a market flip. Almost 20% fewer people think it's getting worse, and about 10% more say it's getting better. Okay, so this... People are feeling good about the economy. And there's a lot of reasons to feel good about the economy. If you've got money in 401Ks or IRAs or whatever, that's you've made a lot of money over the course of the last several months. The hiring numbers are really good. It's just there's a lot of positive stuff that's going on. At the same time, Donald Trump's approval ratings, again, I, I'm going to just talk about the Fox News poll that's out there. Um, a month ago, in February, Trump's approval rating 
48% positive, 47% negative. So he was, it was close, but, but he was up. The same poll that's out now that shows positive stuff about the economy, people feeling better about the economy, show 43% approval, 51% disapproval. So he's gone from being up 1% in the approval to being underwater by, by 8 percentage points, despite the fact that people feel better than ever, or at least better than certainly recently, about the economy. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage, both talk and text line. What is going on here? Why do you think that the president is struggling with his approval rating? Especially given the fact that, again, I'm trying to compare apples to apples by looking at the same poll. You've got a poll that shows that people feel pretty good about the economy and feel, okay, it's been getting better, markedly better. And at the same time, they're not as supportive of the president. What's going on? Why do you think there is this disconnect? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I've got a theory, but I'm curious as to what you think we discuss next. 1122, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven twenty-five, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. What's going on? It, it, apples to apples, new Fox News poll shows that Trump's approval rating ha, is it's underwater by eight points, forty-three to fifty-one percent. At the same time, the numbers about how people feel good about the economy are up dramatically. Normally, those two numbers work in tandem. Let's start with Tom in Waukesha. Tom, you're first. Hi. I think the difference is what people see and what they perceive. And what I mean by that is the administration may be doing a good job in different areas, but when Trump is in a press conference, people may, and some do, say, my God, this man's a buffoon. Listen to what he said. Listen, Look at how he acted. Look at right. what he's tweeted. Yeah, that, like, that, like the tweets about the wiretapping stuff that then becomes the dominant news story for two weeks. Um, and instead of talking about, hey, the economy's growing real well, or look what's happening in the stock market, or look at the job numbers, we're talking about the, these claims that can't be verified, that he was wiretapped, that nobody cares about one way or the other. Well, I think it's, I think on even on, on a lesser note, it's personality versus performance. Yeah, right, 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 right. Now, thanks. I mean, I think that's, I, I think there's certainly something to that. Uh, Chuck says, um, the reason for these numbers is because, in this case, words speak louder than actions. He's going to get things done, but he doesn't know how to just be a nonstick frying pan and let other words just slide off. 414-799-1620. Adam in Brookfield. Adam, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, hi. I, hi. I worked for a guy almost exactly like Trump. He was wealthy, and I couldn't stand the guy. It's, probably, it's his personality. Right. I think if he makes us all a lot of money and he keeps us safe, people are going to forget about how much how abrasive the guy is. Right. But at least right now, the the personality issues, you think, are overwhelming the, the policy issues right now, huh? I think so. He's blunt. He speaks his mind, and he's doing what he said he was going to do at the expense of alienating, what, 60% of the population. But, again, if, if people are happy and healthy and safe, right. they'll forget about all that. Well, you know, the, the, the historical precedent for that certainly is, I mean, I, Ronald Reagan. You know, the first year and a half, and I'm, I'm not saying Donald Trump is Ronald Reagan, but, but the first year and a half that Reagan was off in office, I mean, his approval ratings were, were awful. People, you know, just didn't like a lot of the stuff he was doing, and then the stuff he did worked, you know, and it kind of turned it around. And so people, I think people responded accordingly. Now, 
um, Ronald Reagan had a much different personality than, than Donald Trump. And as opposed to somebody who was off-putting and abrasive, President Reagan was, you know, hail fellow, well met. Let's talk to David and Raymond. David, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Um, I'm really surprised uh, you even asked that question. Um, <laughs> you think I it's really you am. think it's self-obvious? You think it's an obvious, yeah, too obvious? It's, okay. It's, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, he was unfit before by temperament and probably by a lot of other stuff. And uh, it's like every other time he opens his mouth, he just proves it. And in terms of, uh, uh, and he's frightening a lot of people. So, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, under normal circumstances, uh, where a president gets the credit for, you know, a good economy or a bad right. economy, I think it's totally unfair and improper to blame or give a president who's only been in office for, you know, a very short amount of time, credit or blame, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe one, two, three years down the road, that's fine and reasonable. But um, Do you think most people are making that distinction, though? And I I understand. I mean, there's a a very fair argument to be made that says that a a president gets too much credit and too much blame for for things. But but typically, typically when people feel better about the, the economy and they feel better about their personal situation, they're going to feel better about the president. And that doesn't necessarily seem to be happening right now. No, he's, uh, it was an abnormal election, and uh, we have an abnormal presidency, and people are responding abnormally. <laughs> if, so, I mean, let me, what do you think, David? Let me ask you the question that our last caller was talking about. If two years from now we're not in a shooting war, the economy continues to grow, do you think the approval numbers are going to, are going to change, or do you think the die is cast? The die may very well be cast. Um, he is still the captain of his own fate, and for better or worse, he's the captain of our fate. Right. So. All right. Interesting. I mean, that, that, that to me is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Jeff in Twin Lakes. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well, thank you. What's going on here? What's your explanation for the what I'm describing as a disconnect between various poll numbers? Well, I'm. Myself, personally, I'm heavily divested into the stock market and into different IRAs and whatnot, and I'm right. extremely happy the way things are going on right now, so I can understand why those numbers have gone up. Second off, the Fox poll, who is actually being polled? That's my question. I mean, is it... Which uh, is always a fair question to ask about, you know, whether the polls are representative. Sure, I get that. Yeah, I mean, are they represented by the lower uh, 20% of income earners in the United States? Or are they middle class or is it upper class? Mm -hmm. If it's upper class, it's it's 100% reasoning why his numbers are high, mainly because they're all making more money, not not their jobs. But his poll uh, numbers are low is the issue, though. I mean, the the approval ratings are lower. Well, to me, that's totally understandable. I mean, it's like the old movie Dog Day Afternoon. Every time some situation happens where he's not happy because something doesn't go his way, it's a total change of subject. Thank God it's not like Dog Day Afternoon where they actually was a war, per se. I, I, but, I, I got I to I I think that went through. I'm, all, all I remember about Dog Day Afternoon is Al Pacino jumping up and down and going, Attica, Attica, Attica. That, that's, my big, that's my big recollection of that. I. I have to think about how we tie that into current politics. But you know what? That's the thing about movies. There's always a way. It's 1136. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is the WTMJ Week in Review. We live stream this on Facebook Live. So you can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Now, one of our our usual suspects are Susie Falk. 
He's gone. So it's just you and me this week there. Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. All right. We're going to tear it up. And you, you are getting ready to go somewhere, too. I mean, I, I'm the only one that's, <laughs> I don't get this. You know, you know, Falk is in Florida. You're going west to chase the sun. I'm sitting here holding down the fort. Somebody's got to do it, right? Some, exactly. But somebody's. you're going to Vegas in a few weeks, aren't you? I am going to Vegas in a few weeks, which, by the way, um, even though this wasn't on our list of things, it's topic number one. You and I are both fans of Alpine Valley, and the announcement today that um, Alpine Valley is not going to be scheduling any live shows this year, and they, they say that they just that the, the people, the artists that they used to bring, they're not around. Uh, Dave Matthews isn't going to be... He's doing shows, I guess, but pretty much he's, he's not touring Alpine Valley. Jimmy Buffett is playing at Wrigley Field in July, and I've been told that they had a deal that if he plays at Wrigley, he, they don't do Alpine. So they're essentially shutting down for the year. That is a, a tragedy. I, I always thought they did more than just those two or three shows. Well, yeah, there's a great, I mean, Grateful Dead tribute band, and you know, it, it's actually it's gone down dramatically over over the years. Here's my question to you. They say that this is just a one-year thing, that they're going to, Live Nation's going to put a bunch of money in and they're going to revitalize this. Do you buy that? I do. I, I know you're hesitant. but hesitant. I, I do buy it um, because I think there is an appetite for, for concerts in this area. And that venue is so unique that I, I do think that it, mm. they'll, they'll, they'll put money in it. They'll get their money's worth out of it. And so I, I think it's legit. See, I just wonder about the competition aspect of it. Because, I mean, when, when it was first built in, I want to say, 77, um, it was it was pretty much the only game in town for that type of mm-hmm. that, that type of venue. Now you have, first of all, you have a lot of acts that aren't capable of filling up a 40,000-seat sure. venue. I mean, so you've got that, number one. And the ones that are tend to play stadiums. You know, Miller Park has concerts. Like, yeah. you know, you're, you're doing that now. So, I mean, I just, I, and... But it's um, not the same. No, it, it's not. It's not the same. It, and I think they're going to they're gonna invest in that niche. You've got the Grateful Dead, the Jimmy Buffett, and I know that those are Yeah, but are us kinda, baby boomers are getting older. Is, See, that's the thing, right? Chesney <laughs> right behind, right? Uh, and you, I know he does a lot of the stadium stuff, but... I think they're going to try to be that niche stadium and that niche arena. And I'd like to see them give Wrigley a run for their money because, frankly, I don't like going down there. Um, all right. Well, we'll see. I, I am. I, I hope that's the case. And candidly, and some people disagree with me, I, I mean, I think it's kind of a dump. And so I would like to see them. That's put the beauty a, of it, though. That Come it's on. a dump. Well, <laughs> I, but, well, no, as I get older, you, I want more amenities. Yes. And, and especially if if the bands that are out there now – that are going to be able to charge the big money and attract the the baby boomer type of audience as we get older. Sure. We, I'm not sitting on the hill anymore. Oh come on! I, you never sit on the hill. Let's but be I honest. did when I was a kid. I did when I was a kid. But no, nowadays, no, I I don't sit on the. That's right. You sat on the hill last time you went. I did sit on the hill. Yes, that's the way to go, right? <laughs> okay, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, that was just an involuntary eye roll from me. It's like oh, I sat on the hill. Okay, all right. Let, let's get started. Big story this week in both the media and the world of politics is Tuesday night. I'm sitting there minding my own business when our director of digital whatever sends out this tweet saying, Rachel Maddow has this exclusive scoop. Donald Trump's tax returns going to be airing it at 8 o'clock on MSNBC. And for the first time in my life, I turn on MSNBC, watch Rachel Maddow 20-some minutes in after listening to her drone on about Russian (laughs) oligarchs and, and whatever. We, we get Trump's tax returns from 2005. First of all, is there smoke? Is there fire? What about these numbers? Well, I think it just, what a big nothing burger, right? I mean, you just kind of 
sit there, the buildup. I mean, she's a she's not really a reporter. She's an actress, and she totally milked this situation. I think her ratings went through the roof. For she, that one night. For that one right. night. I, I mean, I think this is going to be good for her career, but what an embarrassment for MSNBC for letting this go the way that it did. They had a countdown clock. They had the, the Twitter verse right. was on fire. And I think the, the people who were really looking for something were, were embarrassed for her. Well, you, you know, one of the things you always tell, they always tell you in the media is, is you never bury the lead. And when you drone on for, when, when you drone on for 20 minutes, sure. that is the ultimate in burying the lead. And it tells you that there's no, there's just, I guess, no there there. See, I, yes, her, her numbers, she won that night. There's the biggest numbers ever. But I think there's probably a lot of people who were just, you tune in that one, who will never go back again, including maybe some of her fans who are just like, okay, really? You made us stick around for 25 minutes well, for this? But not only that, I mean, she, she, that was, let's talk about fake news. That was right. really, that was not news. Why at is all. it fake news? Okay, why, 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 why was that a nothing burger of a story? It be, because, well, first of all, it, it's my understanding that they've already seen those numbers. And the fact that she was trying to prove that he didn't pay taxes or there, there was something nefarious there is just um, right. ridiculous. I mean, because really what happened is, is Trump looked like the winner here because he right, had paid I think a most people said, tax yeah, rate. He and, made a lot of money, but he paid uh, a lot yes, of money. You know, It just proved the point. I wouldn't be surprised if he did plant it. And really? I, when they when they had the, the, the reporter who originally received the paperwork right. on, he actually said, I wouldn't be surprised if Trump's people planted this because he is brilliant at this stuff. And I think this is going to hopefully stop the conversation about where is the president's tax returns because I don't, I don't need to see this. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. Should he, should he just go ahead and release his tax returns? No. Well, you know what this reminded me of? This reminded me of with like the Barack Obama and the birth certificate. It's like, right. you know, do, do we really need, do we need to see this? I think this is going to become this long, drawn out thing that, that the, the well, Trump haters not, talk I mean, about all the time. Why not? What are you going to do with it? Well, I, I don't want to follow. I don't want to follow down the Rachel Maddow, you know, Heidi hole, you know, go through the looking glass. But every president since Nixon has released their tax returns, and the argument would be, I guess, number one, if you've got nothing to hide, why not do it? And number two, if there are concerns about conflict of interest and the business dealings with the Russians or whatever. Release the tax returns. It makes the issue go away. Why not for him? Why would he not? Why should he not do that? Well, I think at this point, we've seen that anytime Trump does anything, there's going to be uh, a storm. They're going to be looking it's for something. It's not going to go away. It, right. You can release the tax returns. It's not going to go away. Yeah. It, you're going to find all these other issues, all these other side issues. If anything, Trump could come out smelling like a rose. And you know, frankly, maybe he's going to hold that card for a while, mm -hmm. and, and maybe he should hold that card. But as we've seen, Donald Trump is not like Nixon. He's not like Bush. He's not like anyone else. He can do whatever he wants, and frankly, it's not it's not illegal to not give you right. tax returns. And when you saw that, and actually when they did it the other night, they, they, I mean, even though you look at these numbers, he's paying a lot, you, you can't win for losing because then the attitude was, well, you know, the only reason he paid that money is because of the alternate, alternate <laughs> minimum tax. That a number of us hate a lot, and mm -hmm. and so and he wants to get rid of that. Okay, story number two. As long as we're talking about the president, new immigration order he issued it two weeks ago, narrowing down the scope of his original one. You've got a federal judge in Hawaii and another one in Maryland who have put that on hold. Is he doing the right thing? Is this immigration order 
Is it really designed to violate the right of Muslims, or is this much to do about nothing? I think it, it. whatever he put out there, they are going to hate. And I think what they've done is they, I think they've successfully addressed the original concerns right. that had basically taken this back to the drawing board. They've addressed the concerns with the visas. They took off, uh, you know, with the translators in Iraq. And so I think they've addressed some of the concerns. They put it back out there, and now, of course, they're attacking again. I don't know that he's going to win this, uh, but I think... He's got an obligation to try. That's what he ran on. And I think he does have a lot of people who support him. Uh, federal judge is not, not part of that group. I, I actually, I, I would tell you, unlike the first order, which I do think was subject to all sorts of constitutional problems, because, again, if it, it didn't address, it, it, it lumped in the order. It lumped green card holders and mm-hmm. visa card holders in with everybody else. Yeah. And, and you do have, even though you're not a citizen, if you've got a green card, you've got certain due process rights. This addresses that. I actually think this federal judge is wrong. And I think this idea that just because you've identified a half dozen majority Muslim countries, that that automatically means that this is unconstitutional discrimination against religion. Because there's a lot of other majority Muslim countries that aren't on the list. Aren't on the list. Yeah. But, but the, uh, one of the other points, though, is is look at who's striking this down. I mean, there there's more to this than just thinking that this is unconstitutional or this isn't right. I think there's this is personal. Uh, and these judges, one of them was appointed by Barack Obama, and I think one of them went to school with Obama. So I think there's more going on here, and that's a shame. And we're going to lose out, I think, as a country if we let that rule. Lots of good stuff coming up on The Week in Review. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, Tracy Johnson, 1145. Goodyear, Dunlop, Kelly, Continental, General, you name it, we got it. Plus, free flat tire repair, free tire rotations, and more. So when you're due for tire service, schedule it at richlawns.com. That's Richlawns with two ends. Richlawns! Your home can be more maintenance-free when you rely on J&B. Roofing, siding, copper work, and window. JNB is as good as it gets. You know your home can be more maintenance free when you rely on JNB. This is Tom Faza. If you ask me about roofing, siding, and window companies, I'll tell you JNB is simply the best. Honesty, integrity, quality, and value are just a few of the positives that come to mind when I think of JNB. They know their products and bring their expertise to every job. JNB is family-owned and operated business with certified installers who've been serving Greater Milwaukee for over 50 years. Your home can be more maintenance-free when you rely on JNB. For more information, visit them on the web at jnbconstruction.com. Tracy Johnson, our weekend review. Susie Falk is off enjoying alligators or whatever in Florida. Okay, I, Walk, Walk, Waukesha West. Um, there's a 17-year-old girl who is a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers. She reaches out to Le'Veon Bell, who's one of the running backs for the Steelers, and, and somehow as part of a Twitter bet, he agrees to come and accompany her to prom. Um, his girlfriend's going to come. His mother is going to come. The authorities at Walk, Walk, at, Walk, at Waukesha West say, no, he's, a, he's we'll allow him into the public part, but we have this rule saying nobody over 19, and um, he was suspended for marijuana possession in 2014, so he, he doesn't pass our crime thing. Smell test. Smell test, <laughs> so to speak. Okay, rules are rules, or come on, Waukesha West. Well, 
I, the way that I looked at this, because I, I think at the end of the day, they made the right decision. Um, I look at this as if my child was in that, in that dance at the dance, a 15 year old, and you had somebody who was 25 there. And I looked at it from that perspective. So I think that is a good rule and that they should not allow him in for that. Now see, I, I don't have a problem with the, with the rule. I get, I get what you're saying, you know, 25 year old, right? You you don't want him accompanying 15 year olds. That's creepy and icky. I get that. (laughs) But that's, this really isn't a date. This is, this an is, appearance. well, it's more like that. Right, exactly. It. And it's going to be a, just a different type of thing. I mean, all right, let, if, if, if the 17 year old, let's say that she had terminal cancer, she doesn't. Mm-hmm. But the same thing, you know, she's a Steelers fan, same thing. Do they let him in if she's, if it's kind of like a last wish? Well, it, it, I think they, it, the prom is different, okay? Because it's prom, there's the pre-prom, they're letting him into all the pre-prom activities, which is actually where all the, you know, publicity and all the fun probably will be. So I, I, I really struggle to disagree with, with their rule, just because the... Well, see, I don't disagree with the rule. I disagree with the application okay. of the rule. To me, this is one of these, I, I understand the rule, rule makes sense to mm-hmm. me. But really? But here's the thing. Next time somebody has a 25-year-old boyfriend and they say, okay, well, how do you define a celebrity? I just, I just feel well, like you, they're you going to open just, up a well, can of worms. Well, see, I, don't have, I have no problems with slippery slope thing. You say, this is different. <laughs> you know, get, Life is tough. Get a helmet. Okay. Um, number of Democratic names are being mentioned as possible challengers to Governor Walker. Governor Walker, I believe, is going to run yep. for re-election. I don't think there's any secret mm-hmm. about that. So far, the, the names are... Somewhat under-inspiring. Let me ask you this. Is is Governor Walker vulnerable? Is there anybody out there who can beat him? Oh, not a chance. Not a chance. He has a war chest. He's already... I was at a luncheon on Tuesday. He 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 wasn't very secretive about it. He said, I'm going to be your governor, and I want to be your governor. And I'm, I kind of took that as his, the right. launch of his next campaign. But he's got a ton of money. He's got a ton of support. Um, I don't even think another Republican could run against him if they wanted to. Oh no, no, nobody. Yeah. No, but I mean, is there, I mean, you know, he's always been a lightning rod, and mm-hmm. there's some people who believe that his flirtation with presidential politics, you know, hurt him in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, you don't think so. He, and he, not only that, but I think he played the cards right on in the sense that he was in line with Trump. He wasn't a never Trumper. He did support Donald Trump, who carried the state. So that's good. He has a good relationship with the president. But then he also kept his distance a, a little bit from the standpoint of he didn't kind of get sucked in the, you know, blind, blindly leading, being led by Donald Trump. So I think he played it very, very cool and very right. And I think he still has mass appeal with the very far right and the middle of the road who well, supported and, him. Right. And the other thing is, if you look at this budget, this this is, in my opinion, clearly a re-election oh. budget that's out there yes. with, you know, the, the title the, of it. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's a re-election budget with, you know, a lot of spending that was arguably cut or rolled back. Education. Right. And, so oh, we're, we're putting a ton of money yeah. into that. So, I mean, I think that and, and of course, his his argument is that, well, you know, we needed to do it five or six years ago. The economy, things have improved, so now we can put the money back in. Mm-hmm. And if it happens to help the governor, I say I, I, I agree with you. And, and the names that I'm I'm hearing, Cullen and some of these, uh, John Chisholm, I mean, good luck with all that. It So far, there is not an inspiring Democratic candidate that I think is no. going to capture, I, and I don't know who that would be, because there's, in my opinion, very little bench there's that no the bench. Democrats have. Well, and they're 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 frightened about it but if you look at the numbers it isn't isn't wisconsin one of those states that when you have a republican 
as the president, they become vulnerable from the governorship. Um, I would think that you, they, they're, we might have to think about that at well, some point down the road. Well, I mean, obviously nothing's a given, but I, if, if I were a betting guy and I, um, I, I'd bet on Governor yes. Walker winning. Okay. When we come back, the right stuff awards, Tracy Johnson, Jeff Wagner, it's 1154. Eleven fifty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. The week in review with Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Who, by the way, Ms. Johnson, you know that's uh, it is St. Patrick's Day, and for people who are watching you on Facebook Live, you are not wearing anything green. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> I was yesterday, though. <laughs> who cares about yesterday? Yesterday doesn't matter. Yesterday was March Madness Day. Okay, so oh, so okay. that all right, all right. Just had to point okay, that out. All right, we do this this time every week. It's uh, Right Stuff Awards. Individuals, entities, institutions that deserve credit for doing the right thing. Your winner this week. Well, my winner this week fits right in with St. Patrick's Day. Is uh, Miller Coors and MCTS? They are partnered up once again to offer free rides for St. Patrick's Day. Um, if people want to enjoy the festivities, I know that Water Street and all of Old World Third Street and the Third Ward are hopping, and I'm sure people are relaxing and enjoying watching the games. And so they will be offering free rides after 6 p.m. And so I think that's a great message, a great partnership, and, and great for us, so good for them. And for everybody who sees me at an Irish bar in about an hour and 15 minutes, it, it's really, and I'm not celebrating St. Patrick's Day, I'm just, just toasting my... My late mom, who was like all Irish, third generation oh. Irish. My winner this week is kind of related to yours. It's it's the downtown Milwaukee business community. Um, you got the NCAA tournament that's in town. We have thousands and thousands of people who've come in. Uh, a lot of people from outstate are coming in to see the games. Um, things are hopping. Uh, this it is thriving downtown right now, and this is something where we're really putting our best foot forward with the exception of the pirates who are gouging people for parking. But that oh. is not, that is another topic. Um, downtown Milwaukee, businesses, hotels, you get the right stuff awards. The folks that are charging $75 for parking, you get a lump of coal in your stocking, but that's it. All right, Scafidi and Bill Stat is coming up. Tracy, thank you for your time. We'll talk to you next week with the Week in Review. I'm back 8.30 on Monday morning. We do this all again. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the NCAA tournaments. Enjoy St. Patrick's Day. Enjoy your weekend. It's 1159. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.